0: Welcome to Prep Talk, the Emergency Management Podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness. Get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the Emergency Management Department in the city that never sleeps,
1: here are your hosts.
0: Hello, everyone.
2: Thank you for listening. I'm Ashley Holmes,
0: and I'm Alison Panisi, and you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to listen to Prep Talk on your favorite podcast provider. You can also follow us on social media on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and much more.
2: On this episode of Prep Talk, we are joined by staff members of NYC Emergency Management who are here to discuss the agency's 2022 to 2026 strategic plan and its key priorities, including recruiting and retaining talent that can shape the emergency management field as it continues to grow and evolve. Please welcome Jimmy Dietz, Monitoring and Evaluation Program Manager, Veronica Geiger, Deputy Director of People and Culture. Thank you both for joining us. Please share with our listeners your role and how you got started in the field. Jimmy, let's begin with you.
1: Hi, good morning, Uh, I'm Jimmy Dietz, uh, the Monitoring Evaluation Program Manager, as Ashley mentioned. Uh, And in my role, I'm responsible for the after action reporting process, so that includes coordinating and facilitating focus group sessions after an emergency response to gather information on best practices, recommendations, and areas of improvement, and then documenting um, those findings in after action reports. Another responsibility that I have is kind of tracking those recommendations through implementation to make sure that we're actually improving uh, on past activation. So we're continuing to uh, grow as an agency in our response and recovery. I also serve on the Equity and Diversity Council uh, as a part of the recruitment committee. So thinking about priorities of recruitment and how we can improve our agency's recruitment. And so I got into the field, um, I actually have a background in public health, um, and I was originally working in research, and uh, research kind of moved a little bit slow for me, even though I appreciated the importance of it, um, and I kind of wanted a more engaging and high-impact position. So um, I got involved at NISEM in 2020, and it's been definitely very interesting, uh, interesting and exciting for me. Thanks.
3: Veronica. And I'm Veronica Geiger. I'm the Deputy Director of People and Culture at New York City Emergency Management. I started with the agency um, almost six years ago now. I started as a agency timekeeper in our human capital management unit or what used to be human resources. So We went through a re- rebranding last year and I started there um, as the agency timekeeper and then I moved on to the people and culture side. So right now I oversee and run our agency's recruitment practices and our recruiting. I oversee and run our agency internship programming. Um, I oversee and run our health benefits programming and our retirement benefits programming and getting seminars and webinars to the agency. I also am the liaison to the Equity and Diversity Council from the Human Capital Management Team. So I've worked with Jimmy quite often recently uh, from the EDI team. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you both for being here and being part of this very important conversation. So New York City Emergency Management recently launched its 2022 to 2026 strategic plan, uh, which outlines the agency's key priorities, um, one of which being diversity, hiring, and retention. Um, It also serves as an update to the agency's initial strategic plan uh, that was released in 2017. So a few questions here. Why should emergency management agencies create strategic plans? And talk to us about the improvements that New York City Emergency Management has made since that plan um, from 2017. And what are the priorities now? So, I know that's a lot to unpack, but Jimmy, I'm going to start with you.
1: So, a strategic plan in general can help to outline a shared vision for the agency um, and what the agency seeks to accomplish and improve on. I mean, it kind of you know, instills like a forward thinking mentality and developing a strategic plan can help to hold the agency accountable. So the goals are documented and it basically sets out as a foundation for measuring success towards achieving these goals in the future. And so the 2017 to 2021 plan was a, was a good initial effort for documenting the strategic vision for the agency, but the content was largely based on executive input from folks group discussions. This current iteration engaged staff at all levels across the agency we're getting perspectives from staff, from coordinator to the uh, commissioner level. Additionally, this current iteration, the 2022 to 2026 strategic plan incorporating monitoring and evaluation principles to help kind of define specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely metrics to help track progress towards achieving the goals that we set out. And it's also, we've also created a robust metric reporting process that, will engage bureaus throughout the year. And so the data that we're collecting will help us kind of track our progress and course correct along the way. And then finally, the strategic plan will be a web-based publication that has translation features uh, integrated to make it more accessible and engaging for readers. In regards to the priorities for the strategic plan, there are six overarching goals that are laid out in the strategic plan. The first is to continue to build on our preparedness efforts, including emergency plans, trainings, and exercises. And we do this by incorporating emerging threats in plans and emergency preparedness efforts, evaluating our emergency preparedness programs, and further engaging community organizations and groups to encourage the implementation of community-based preparedness strategies. This Another priority is to strengthen the city's response, recovery, and mitigation operations by working with agencies and stakeholders to define operational responsibilities and build capacity for these operations, developing a long-term recovery strategy for the city, and securing funding for hazard mitigation projects. Another priority is fostering a diverse, inclusive, and equitable agency. By recruiting a more diverse pool of candidates and working to make sure our emergency response strategies, including plans, programs, and initiatives, effectively serve all of New York City's communities. Another priority is investing in NISEM staff to improve retention and employee satisfaction, and this includes strategies to reduce burnout and professional development of NISEM staff. Additionally, another priority is leveraging the latest technologies to inform decision-making by improving data collection, sharing visualization and analytic capabilities, implementing new technologies for financial and legal operations, and working with private sector to develop new solutions to identified gaps. And then finally, the last priority is expanding NISEM headquarters to meet future demands, developing solutions to meet emergency staffing demands, and encouraging creativity and innovation for new ideas throughout the agency.
0: Thank you. So a lot of priorities, but it's really great to hear that these priorities weren't just from the executive level, that there was exploration and conversations and listening sessions that were done at all staffing levels to ensure everybody's voice was included so thank you for that. I do want to focus on the recruitment and talent strategies and priorities that have been outlined. So traditionally the emergency management field on the local state and federal level has a large presence of first responders and you know uh, people of specific races. So Veronica this question is more for you. How and where do you recruit to attract people of different backgrounds and skills to encourage them to pursue careers in emergency management?
3: That's a great question. To kind of start, our agency is kind of the, I don't want to say the emergency management leaders in the field, but we are probably the biggest emergency management agency in the country. So what I try and do is I want to recruit and hire talent that reflects the communities that we work in and the communities that we try and prepare. So for me, I try and recruit from a, a wide pool of, of areas. Handshake has become like my new best friend. Um, it's actually the, the largest network of colleges and, u- colleges and universities across the country. And from there, we re- try and recruit people of all backgrounds and all fields of study to come and work in emergency management. Because I think from where people get stuck in our our field or don't think that they're qualified for our positions, because they think you need an emergency management background, which I Am living proof that you don't. Uh, my background is most definitely in human resources. I, before coming to emergency management, I worked in in HR, and my field of study was actually in communications. And, um, you know, working at Niceam kind of fell in my lap, and I received a ton of on-the-job experience and learning. And that's one of the things that I think our agency brings to the field in that we do give a lot of training and a lot of on-the-job knowledge in emergency management. I do go to um, a lot of in-person and virtual career fairs, um, some that are through colleges and universities, others are sponsored from council members. And I try and put the emphasis on... You don't have to be an emergency manager to work at, at NISOM, which is one of the good things. Like I said, for me, it's a huge... Priority to bring in a workforce and recruit talent that reflects the communities of New York City. So, going into going into different areas of the city, doing career fairs in the Bronx and Queens, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Staten Island, making sure that our agency is out there and people are aware that we are recruiting and that we, um, you know, we want to bring in diverse talent. So that's where um, that's where my my priority is as far as recruiting goes. One of the key
2: priorities is recruiting talent that reflect the communities we serve. You both actively participate in the agency's equity and diversity council, which we have mentioned on prep talk before. So this topic is near and dear to both of you. The pointed question, what practices of recruitment and retention are being done currently and what is being done to change them? Uh Jim then Veronica.
1: I'll let Veronica talk a little bit about more about the The current processes, but um, as part of the recruitment committee with Veronica, we're kind of thinking about how to better standardize the recruitment process throughout the agency. So that includes things like a diverse interview panel. So you're getting those perspectives in the hiring process. And so you're having, you know, these different voices kind of as part of the hiring process. Additionally, you know, thinking basically going back to kind of what Veronica was saying, thinking about how non-traditional backgrounds can have a fit in emergency management, you know, not necessarily needing to have uh, a master's in emergency management or homeland security, but having skills that can be transferable and kind of thinking of, you know, more of a a cultural ad than a cultural fit. Because, you know, in practice, thinking about cultural fit reinforces the status quo. And you think about a cultural ad that brings a unique perspective to the agency. As an initiative of the recruitment committee for the Equity and Diversity Council, we created a equitable recruitment best practices document um, and shared with hiring managers and the whole agency to kind of document some of these best practices so hiring managers can keep them in mind and it could be used as a resource to further improve how we how we think about diversity and equity at the agency.
3: Thank you, Jimmy. You guys are doing great work. Veronica? So I'll speak to kind of what we're doing currently. So on the recruiting end, I feel like in a post-COVID world, we need to kind of do some non-traditional recruiting so Allison and the communications team has been um, kind of a lifeline for me as far as getting some of that non-traditional recruitment going we are in talks to do an ethnic media roundtable talk about our different um, vacancies and job openings that we have I am working with Allison to also do some graphics on our social media channels she actually has created an awesome video that I think is going to be be shared soon, if not already. And we're trying to really recruit on our social media channels. And that includes LinkedIn, first and foremost, but also includes Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those places. Because in a post-COVID world, I think People are looking on more in these non-traditional um, non traditional spaces to rec- find jobs. As far as our retention practices go, I actually worked with the retention committee through the Equity and Diversity Council to work on a retention survey to really get the feel and the temperature of the agency and where our, our staff is at in regards to their professional journeys at NISOM. I think from a, a recruiting end and from a an human capital management perspective that's super important to get the the perspectives of everyone across the agency like Jimmy was talking earlier about getting the perspectives of everyone from a coordinator and specialist and program manager level for the strategic plan from the equity and diversity council and the HCM perspective it's important to get everyone's everyone's you know temperature across the agency not just at that executive level so we launched a retention survey that we're going through right now now I'm gonna be able to release some data on that um, very soon to the agency. But I think that was a great exercise in really, you know, getting the understandings of everyone across the agency and um, so we're, we're hoping to use our retention survey as a benchmarker to go year over year, set some, um, set some goals based on our responses, and make sure that we're measuring the metrics to make sure that we're hitting those goals um, year over year. So we, we definitely want to be able to use the retention survey and send it out every year so that we can get the temperature of the agency, but also use it as a benchmarker to set goals and policies for the agency as well putting a lot of emphasis on recruiting and making sure that we're recruiting diverse talent that reflects the communities that we serve, but also making sure that we're um, you know, once we hire that talent, making sure that we're able to keep them and keep them happy and make sure that, um, you know, they're growing professionally as well and making sure that we're giving them the tools and the, um, and the tips that they need to really succeed at NYSEM. So that's some of the, um, the current stuff that we're doing, but I think going forward, um, we do have HCM has, um, our own strategic plan on, um, on where we want to go in the future and like and like I was saying before, that includes, um, you know, uh, doing more recruitment on non-traditional, um, non-traditional platforms, reaching out to our community and ethnic media partners, um, you know, eventually doing um, job descriptions in other languages and being able to post in other languages. So we do have our own um, uh, recruiting and retention strategic plan as well on the uh, HCM side.
2: Veronica, what are some of the challenges you have seen in recruitment and retention, Uh, salaries or remote work? um, Can you speak to that?
3: I absolutely can. So so right now, I think we... I think that you know the whole the country as a whole is experiencing a shift in landscape um as far as what people expect from their from their work and from their work environment so I think it's it's been a little tough because um you know we i think the city as a whole is is trying to move um move in a direction that retains staff but also um but also, um, being able to kind of move with the times. So, um, so I think that we're, we're in a very interesting, interesting moment right now in the job landscape. Um, I think that salaries have been, um, salary has definitely been a challenge, um, you know, and being able to, um, you know, compete with the private sector, but that's kind of always been a challenge with city government and, um, and with, um, you know, the, the private sector, but also now, um, remote work, uh, we are in person, we are fully um, in the office. So that is also a challenge as well, when, um, you know, some other Um, Other jobs in the private sector are offering hybrid roles or fully remote roles. So that's a challenge too. And in a post COVID world, it's going to be really interesting how, um, you know, us as a city are able to navigate those challenges um, and rise to the occasion so that we can recruit, um, you know, the talent that we're that we want to recruit from or we can, um, you know, recruit more, uh, you know, bringing in more talent to the city instead of losing them to the private sector. So. those are definitely some challenges.
2: Thank you, Veronica. As you said, it is very important to be competitive in the job market so you don't lose out people to the private sector. Um, Can you, um, either Jimmy or Veronica, um, why is diversity and inclusion important in the disaster cycle? Actually, um, we can start with Jim.
1: Sure. Um, So I think... In general, um, having a diverse workforce is beneficial, not just for um, you know actual priorities, work priorities, but like the culture at work. But you know, if we're thinking about the disaster cycle and emergency response, um, diversity is extremely important to to bring these perspectives, these diverse perspectives um, that. That help us kind of consider um, the different communities that we're serving, um, and kind of challenge conventional thinking um, and encourage like innovation in the work environment. So um, when we have when we have a workforce that reflects the community that we're serving. Um, that important connection with the community to help, can help us understand the needs um, and, and the gaps that, that we have as we respond and recover from emergencies. Um, it also helps like treating these communities uh, with the dignity that they're entitled to. So I think that understanding is key. You're never going to have that understanding if you are kind of coming as an outsider. You can try your best, but you kind of need those voices in the room to encourage that and push us towards um, kind of creating a more equitable uh, operations and response.
2: Thank you for that, Jimmy. Veronica, do you have anything you want to add?
3: Um, I th- I think it's so important to echo echo different voices um, across EM as an industry. Um, as Allison said earlier, um, EM is is uh, predominantly uh, predominantly made up of uh, one person typically. Um, so it's important to reflect other voices because other voices can bring other perspectives. Other voices bring other experiences and, you know, some, some experience are shared, but others are not. So it's so important to, um, it's so important to make sure that we are, um, that we are basically, creating a work environment that is inclusive of all backgrounds and all, um, you know, all, all people to make sure that we're creating a work environment that's not only open and inviting, but also allows for shared experiences. Um, so that, that's why I think that as a, as a field, um, as an EM field, I think that, it's it's kind of up to up to not up to us solely, but I think that our field definitely needs to move in the direction of making sure that we are um, we're sharing the space with other voices as well. Um, so that's why at, um, you know, at NISOM, I, I think the, the priority is to really make sure that we are, um, you know, creating a welcoming space for everyone to work in.
0: All great points. Um, If we look at the five barriers to equity, just looking at this from a you know 10,000 foot view, um, if we look at the five barriers to equity, so race, age, income, education, and culture, they have a great deal of impact on all phases of the disaster cycle, um, especially in the response and recovery phases. So can you all give us an example of how having a diverse staff um, helped during a recent response for the city of New York? And how can emergency managers carefully consider and be mindful of these barriers as they look to improve their work and enhance their mission?
1: Yeah. um, I think often in in an activation, uh, my memory kind of blends together. So it's hard to point out a specific uh, scenario. Um, But I think as in my emergency response role, I work in the planning section, and so we work directly with leadership a lot and just having a voice in the room that can ask the important questions that need to be asked. So, for instance, um, you know, what, what data we're reporting on, what metrics are we collecting um, that's telling us, uh, and what is that telling us about the communities that are disproportionately impacted by disasters? And in line with the uh, barriers, I think it's really important to first recognize these barriers and then make sure you're accounting for them um, at all levels and throughout all aspects of emergency response. So in plans, reports, exercises, hiring. um, And if you purposely are thinking about it and calling it out, um, that'll allow you to better serve the community. So as I mentioned before, in our situational reporting, like what data are we collecting on um, communities disproportionately impacted by disasters and what are we doing with that data um, and information and how is that um, changing how we respond? Um, From my aspect of my day-to-day work for the hot washes and after action reports, are we specifically asking questions about um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and uh, disability access and functional needs um, in these hot wash sessions um, to make sure that we are continuing to like, move forward and, and improve um, response from that perspective. Um, and I think, you know, tying back to what we've been talking about, having, having diversity at the agency helps us account for these bears by asking these questions and having these voices in the room that can um, consider things that wouldn't be considered if you have, if you have kind of a, a, a monolith of, of the same type of people throughout the agency
3: having a diverse staff has helped during a multitude of, um, of activations and emergencies, actually making sure that we can communicate with those communities to give them the, the information that they need to, um, recover from that, from emergencies or to be able to get through an emergency, um, depending on what's going on. And I think that it's important to make sure that our staff, like I've, you know, I said it a few times to make sure that our staff reflects the communities that we are serving. New York City is made of is made up of a melting pot of of individuals um, from all different backgrounds and all different needs. So, making sure that our staff reflects that, and I think also having a diverse staff also I think makes it easier to communicate with. Um, with the communities that we serve. And I think it also builds trust in our agency as well. When someone, you know, that is experiencing a disaster like a building collapse or a fire sees someone that, um, you know, looks like them or reflects them, it makes it easier to build trust so that we can better serve them or they feel comfortable coming to us with questions or, you know um, you know, explaining their situation, I think it makes it, um, it makes it so much easier to do that when we have a staff that reflects the community, um, that we're serving.
1: And I actually just thought of an example, but totally echoing everything that Veronica said. Um, but during, I know during, um, uh, Ida, when we stood up service centers in, in all five boroughs, I know that, um, having like, uh, a coworker who was a Brooklyn native, uh, understanding like where uh, to stand up this service center so that it was uh, accessible for multiple forms of transit, um, and considering you know disability and access and functional needs um, is extremely important. And then also echoing what Veronica said, you know, having staff at the service centers uh, that look like the people they're serving and can speak the language and understand uh, the cultural context is important for kind of um, building that that trust with the community.
3: I can also echo Hurricane Ida as well. Um, I was in a service center in Staten Island for, I want to say, like four weeks. And I'm a Staten Island native. So having that background of, um, you know, not so much where to set up the facility or making sure that it's um, accessible to everyone, but just having that face of, um, you know, people coming in and explaining where they live or explaining, you know, where the water was coming from, having a face to say, I can communicate with you. I know where this is. I'm so sorry. And making sure that people can, you know, see themselves in the the staff that we deploy is very important because, you know, thinking back on that time, it was, um, it was, Brought a little bit of comfort knowing that we we had staff that reflected the people that were directly impacted by um, by Hurricane Ida. So I think it just it's it's only positive when we can echo um, everyone's voices in the room and we can um, you know deploy staff that reflects our whole community. Veronica,
2: in your opinion, what are some of the best practices or recommendations you have for those looking to create a strategic plan and how to prioritize initiatives in a holistic way?
3: So... Best practices that I would say for creating a strategic plan from um, from a recruitment and retention side, I would say best practices to really, um, I would say to survey on the retention end, survey your current staff, make sure that you're getting, um, you know, their voices and their opinions um, when you are coming up with any sort of strategic plan, because the people that are able to Um, to live that experience and the people that are currently doing the work, um, you know, they have they have a lot of thoughts and opinions and they need to be considered as well because it also fosters um, innovation like um, Jimmy had mentioned um, you know building innovation in into your strategic plan I think that's so important and a lot of those innovative ideas you know they may not be coming from the top they might be coming from you know someone who's a coordinator a specialist level um, but they have this great idea and they have their their ears to the ground ears to the ground on what on what's important so um, making sure that we're surveying our, our staff is, in my view, it is uh, a great practice, not a best practice, a great practice. Um, but also on the retention, I'm sorry, on the recruiting end um making sure that um you know uh, we are recruiting from um a, a wide scope of uh, a wide scope of areas and making sure that we're touching um enough people that um that are able to visibly see our job postings but also um are intrigued by the area of stuff area of study that we're in. Um, emergency management is not something that is widely talked about. Um, it's, it's talked about now, I think, because more disasters and natural disasters are coming, are, are coming around the country. So it's talked about more, but, um, you know, it's still not a, a field of study or a scope of work that I think a lot of people are looking at. So it's important on the recruiting end to make sure that we are our job postings are visible are visible and making sure that we're getting traction on them. Um, and just make sure that you find, um, you know, niche places to recruit on, making sure that we're looking at um, uh, areas that are touching a lot of people, but a lot of um, also, a lot of people that reflect the community that we're serving. Jim,
1: just to add to that, I think um, having a strategic plan that specifically outlines goals, but kind of has some degree of um, flexibility. So it's specific but broad, and I know that's like a contradiction, but you're um, thinking about our strategic plan as a four-year strategic plan, um, and a lot of our priorities will remain the same, but our priorities might change over time, so kind of reflecting overarching goals as, as opposed to being like overly prescriptive is important. Um, and then, you know, one of the portions that I'm involved in is, is the collection of data to track progress, and I think having a data-driven framework to track strategic plan progress is extremely important um, because, you know, you want to... Make sure that you are um, being holding you know teams accountable, um, and that um, that you're actually making progress towards these goals. And not only just collecting quantitative data, but some more of the qualitative data to provide context, because you can't get everything from numbers. There's a lot of uh, information that you can't um, collect um, from just quantitative metrics, you know, you want to supplement that. So you kind of are looking holistically at progress because um, a number can tell you something, but uh, it can't provide all the context needed to really uh, show us our progress towards these goals. So I think those are just a couple um, to add to all the points Veronica brought up. Great.
2: Thank you, Jimmy.
0: Speaking with Jimmy Dietz and Veronica Geiger from New York City Emergency Management. It is rapid response time, and if you are a first time listener, it's simple. Prep Talk will ask questions, and our guests will give the first answer that comes to mind. But before rapid response, here is a message from New York City Emergency Management What do New Yorkers and hurricanes have in common? There are more of them each year. Hurricanes don't wait and neither should you visit nyc.gov/knowyourzone or call 311 to find out how to prepare for hurricanes in New York City prepare today know your zone it's time
2: for prep talk
0: rapid response okay we are back with rapid response first question what is one emergency item that you cannot live without jimmy we'll start with you
1: um i don't know if this counts This might be a terrible answer but uh i have my reusable water bottle that i have uh all the time because i'm always thirsty and i feel like an emergency that's kind of important so uh yeah
0: okay reusable water bottle veronica what about you
1: I would say my portable phone charger.
3: I think that's an item that I can't live without um, in an in an emergency or not. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I carry it every day with me. So my, my portable phone charger. Got it.
2: What is your favorite disaster movie? Veronica, we can start with you.
3: Ooh, good question. Um, I would say the movie 2012 I think Jake Gyllenhaal is in it um and I remember it's I'm pretty sure it's set in New York um and I remember I was in college and I I went to school in Manhattan so as I was watching it I was watching like Midtown get flooded and like the Statue of Liberty was like you know in a like a pile of snow and I remember actually being like really scared watching it um and it's only ironic that now I work in emergency management um so I think that would be my favorite disaster movie.
2: Jimmy?
1: Um, maybe, I guess I'd say uh, Deep Impact. I know like Armageddon and Deep Impact came out around the same time, and for whatever reason, my family went to uh, see Deep Impact. Maybe Armageddon was sold out. Um, but I just remember it being like very entertaining. It was probably unrealistic and silly um but i just remember the effects being really cool and the story being uh entertaining for uh whatever i was nine ten year olds that's actually mine too <laughs> good choice good choice
3: I also um, this is I guess a a question that I have Um, whenever any of you see like a disaster that hits New York do any of you any of you think at this point I'd get called into work because that's what I think of when I see a disaster that hits New York I'm always like "Mm, this is the point where I'd be called into work
0: oh (laughs) in a disaster movie yes absolutely
3: yeah, um,
2: no spoilers, but the new Batman movie towards the end gave me a little anxiety. Like, I would definitely be
1: called in to work for this. Just checking the weather gives me anxiety now, so I, I feel you there. <laughs>
3: I remember watching the first Avengers movie and it's like all the aliens are coming out of the sky and like midtown Manhattan is just like being pummeled with like falling buildings and aliens and Avengers everywhere. And I turned to, uh, now he's my husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time. I turned to him and I was like, this is the point in the movie where I would get called into work. I'd be working in the EOC at this point.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes, yeah, so well, we could do an entire episode of Prep Talk on disaster movies and art imitating life. But I'm going to go to our last rapid response question. Sum up the work you do in one word. Veronica, we'll start with you. Uh,
3: rewarding.
0: Jimmy?
1: Improvements.
0: Speaking with Jimmy Dietz and Veronica Geiger from New York City Emergency Management. For those interested in checking out New York City Emergency Management's 2022 to 2026 strategic plan, you could visit the agency online at nyc.gov forward slash emergency management. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.